Hello, everybody. Welcome once again to another fantastic episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. My name is Adam Homie. I am your host, and I am honored by your wise decision to tune in and invest in yourself today. As the name says, we're business creators. We help you win at the game of business and marketing so you can thrive from the intersection of your brilliance and your passion. And as far as our audience, you may be an entrepreneur, a small business owner, or a local business owner. You could be a marketing and business coach, consultant, or mentor. You could be somebody who helps others create and grow their businesses, and or you could be the type who likes to have your own hands on the levers. You're the do-it-yourself type. Now, if you're one or more of the above, and many of our listeners who tune in every week are all of the above, take a moment, explore episodes, discover how we serve you at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. Also, be sure to check us out on networks such as iTunes. When you subscribe, you get immediate access to over 250 episodes covering a breadth and depth of topics relevant to business creators today. And you get fresh content served every single week as we add new guests and as we add new topics. So for today, we have quite an interesting conversation coming up. It's about fearless business. And you are absolutely going to love the guest that we've lined up for you today. He's a very, very, very interesting guy. In fact, I was uh, checking out some of his FAQs here, and I'm going to show you just a few of them in just a moment. But first of all, let me tell you who he is. His name is Robin Waite. He's a business coach, author, and speaker, working with clients to set goals and achieve success through his coaching program. Born out of a deep passion for personal and business development, Robin puts his experience to work for his clients. And as far as his clients, he coaches B2B business leaders and professionals, offering insights from systems, the pricing structure, the personal development. With fearless goal setting and accountability, Robin's program is turning dreams into reality for clients around the world. And a couple other interesting fun facts about Robin is he's a mad keen road cyclist and can often be seen hurling down Frochester Hill, if I'm pronouncing that right, which I'm probably not, at 50 miles an hour though he's a lot less keen on cycling back up. And he's often teased about his huge collection of Salt Rock t-shirts, over 20 at the last count. And he's a huge, huge, huge uh, sports fan, which we'll hear a little bit about. Warren, welcome aboard. Uh, Nice to have you here. Come on in. The weather's fine. (laughs) It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me. Absolutely. Absolutely. So what we like to do, Robin, is – I know that, uh, you know, a couple weeks ago you were watching the World Cup. Uh, I'm sorry that England didn't quite make it. I know you guys came so close. Uh, What we'd like to do here before we dive into the main topic we have today, and I know you have a lot of great information you're going to share with us, is some of our listeners may be right now opening a separate browser tab, Googling this guy, Robin Waite. Who is this guy? And what we like to do is take a step back. I just read off your official bio, but – Tell us a little bit more about your story and what's brought you to where you are today at the intersection of your brilliance and your passion serving business creators. Yeah, I mean, I, so I, I've always wanted to run my own business. Um, it, was, it was something which I started doing really as a teenager from kind of, um, you know, making my own money doing paper rounds and things like that, uh, odd jobs and right. working down my local pub and, and whatnot. And then um, I, I realized that um, I kind of had a practice passion or the passion came from basically kind of being my own boss and not wanting to go and get a job uh now for some people that works really well for some people not so well but i um 
Uh, I've been through various different kind of guises as a, a systems analyst right out of school. I, I built um, a one and a half million pound medical devices company, um, you know, employed sort of um, about a dozen people. And then uh, one of the problems with that, though, is, is quite a challenging industry. And actually, the, the CEO of the company was um, a fantastic product designer, but had no idea about how to run a business. So I thought, right, I can, I can do this better myself. Um, and I took my systems sort of knowledge and started, um, I ran a marketing agency doing web design and branding, and I set that up in 2004 um, and sold it um, about two years ago, um, which kind of, I, I've kind of skipped a massive um, section of my life, but throughout that I've, I've played rugby, I've been a mad, mad um, uh, sort of sports fan and sportsman as well, so I played ho- um, field hockey, uh, all sorts of stuff during that time, but um the thing for me was when I was busy building websites, it was very much like I don't know if you, you know if, if you have found this at all. Like the perceptions of web design and the creative industries is like so low. All you hear are words like free, cheap, Weebly, Wix, WordPress, DIY, and right. I realised that it was something I wanted to change. So I wrote my first book online business startup, which went really really well, and it started to get me a lot of speaking gigs and consult and uh, consulting work and things like that. I had a couple of mentorships which, um, you know, started to open my eyes really properly into, like, the self-development world. Um, and then, you know, one thing led to another, basically. About two years ago, um, just so I've got two daughters, just before my second daughter, um, uh, about three weeks, in fact, before my second daughter's about to arrive. You mentioned the cycling. So you did get the pronunciation just about, right, Froster. Um, All right. Froster Hill. So I, I'd gone down Froster Hill at 52 miles an hour on a push bike, which is pretty quick, pretty hair-raising, but um, at the bottom of the hill, I actually had a bit of a breakdown, um, because I'd just reached the end of the road with my agency, um, and I'd lost sight of why I was doing it, fighting these you know, negative perceptions of the creative industries, um, and I just thought, why am I putting myself through this, and actually um, uh, ended up next to the train line, obviously it ended well because I'm still here, but the thoughts were going through my head that I just absolutely had enough of the kind of life generally, and... But then, yeah. sort of turns out, you know, I've got a two-year-old daughter at this point, and I've got my wife is eight and a half months pregnant. And I went home and I said, "Darling, uh, I've got a bit of a problem. Don't like my agency anymore, so I'm going to close it on Monday and um, do something else." And she's like, "I'm eight and a half months pregnant. What do you think you're doing?" It's like the international sign of distress. The arms went up in the air, and there was a bit, maybe a bit of shouting. <laughs> um, um, but, but the reality was like, I just wasn't happy, and it was that moment when I was just like, no, I've got to, I've got to, I can't carry on doing the same old thing. I've got to, I've got to do something different here. Um, so I started coaching. Um, I took took some time out, obviously, with with Soph when she was born, and my my wife and my daughter. And you know, it was it was the best three months of my life, basically, just put, dropping everything, focus on the family for three months, make a plan of action. And I, with a life coach, I, I helped. He helped me to settle on business coaching as a thing, that's what I was going to call it. Um, I designed my whole program, I worked out who I was going to help, I started testing it, I started having lots of really great conversations with people, like, yep, just go for it, you're brilliant at what you do, Um, and kind of the rest is history, really. Yeah, and you know, I think a lot of our business creators go through that, and I've been there myself. I've shared many times on this show that I spent almost two years of my life basically trying to figure out what I wanted to be when I grew up. I came to this point where I'd been doing a certain business for a number of years, and the only thing I really feel I've gained from that business is a lot of cautionary tales, which occasionally come up when we do these interviews here on Business 
Creators Radio Show and when I show up on other programs. Now, all that being said, what's brilliant about our industry, uh, and I like to use the analogy of the difference between a website and how we used to market in the old days when there were no websites and having a website wasn't an option. I tell folks all the time, it's a website. It's not 20,000 printed brochures that are now going to sit in a box in your closet until you finally throw them away because you changed your mind two days later. The nature of business yeah. today is you get to change your mind, and if something's not working for you, you put your energy towards finding the place you want to be, being smart, being deliberate, but also being bold about it. You say, I don't want to be in this one business, so let me start working on the new business. And this is something that in some of the coaching that I do, I work with folks who are in a place where they're doing something because they were told this is the way to make money, or they were told this is what everybody wants. Well, it seems like everybody yeah. wants it, but they don't want to provide it, meaning the, the, the business creator themselves don't want to provide it. So we look to think beyond what do we just simply do to raise cash, but what do we do to raise cash and make a lot of money doing something that is actually in alignment and in sync with who you are and what you want to present to the world? And some of that, I think, is going to come – through when we have our conversation here today, because I know some of the things we're going to cover are price mistakes. Uh, we're going to uh, do some of the lessons that certain types of businesses can learn from other types of businesses. When I had the conversation with you in the green room, it kind of felt like we share some of the same topics, like I share in my book, Groundhog Day is an Event, Not a Business Strategy. And that's actually going to be the second thing we get to today. But let's start yeah. with what's on a lot of people's minds when we talk about fearless business, one of the things that causes a lot of fear in people with their business is pricing. So, Robin, in your experience, what are some of the common pricing mistakes that will make your B2B business fail? So the first one is, um, is the, the most common mistake by far. So um, it starts with good intentions. So imagine we've just we've just started up a business. We're really excited about this great idea, and uh, a, a mentor, friend, or whatever has said you should probably go and do some research before you launch this thing, right? Um, so the first thing we actually tend to do is research our competitors and see how much our competitors are charging. And the reality is like that your competitors are not a good barometer of of how to price your own products because you are unique basically and despite the fact that 95% of people in your target market uh, or in your competitor sort of market might be charging the same amount of money, they might all actually be wrong. And the reality is you said as well, like it's, it's actually really easy to kind of um, create a business now or, or, or change from one business to another. Um, but, but the reality is, you know, there are, what, 300 million people in, in the States. I don't know how many registered businesses there are, but probably quite a few. The reality is we don't need all of them. And actually, most, most business sectors I see are, are in this race pricing-wise. They're in this race to the bottom, like be the cheapest. That's how we get clients. But most, I mean, I work with a lot of service-based, like client businesses, basically. Um, and they only need 10 to 20, like, high-paying clients to have a really, what I call it, like a healthy business. Not wealthy, but a healthy business. So they're not, uh -huh. they're not struggling, but, but they're not, like, overwhelmed. So, and if we just compete on price, we're no different to the competition. So there's space to have somebody who's expensive, like high ticket. There's plenty of room for people to all be competing over price, and there's plenty of space for people to be cheap as chips and not last very long. So that's kind of the, the first mistake, is looking at the competitors. 
Um, the second mistake then is, is like discounting on the first order. So, um, you know, basically trying to attract people by doing like two for one deals and things like that. And the reality is that just ends up killing businesses because you're doing work for half the price. And, and it, it, it's not really, you know, there's no longevity to that basically. It's, it's, um, uh, it, it, at some point, if two people are competing on price by discounting, one of you is going to lose. And we, you know, we, we basically don't, don't ever want to be the loser. So that, that's kind of really the, the second biggest mistake. And they, those are kind of the, the two which I, I see most often. Um, and and there, there is a third one, but I, I totally escaped my mind. And I was just having a quick, quick look. But I think they, the, the discounting and the competing on, you know, compete, looking at what your competitors are doing is, is definitely, that's the biggest mistake by far that I see all the time. Yeah, I think those are two great ones, and this is why when my company conducts surveys on behalf of our clients and we're trying to identify the price point, we ask the question about pricing a very specific way because we recognize that just because your competitor charges something means absolutely nothing because what you don't have access to is who is their market segment, and even more, what are some of their beliefs? Are they fearless in business or are they fearful? And as far as discounts, I, I see I love this because I've spoken about this so many times is we find ourselves making offers where we'll give a first time discount or a two for one in the service industry, not really to me a good idea. And we also get pitches from prospective clients that say something like, Hey Robin, tell you what, how about uh we uh lower your fees by ten percent and you throw in this extra thing for our first one and if things work out great, I have a huge network of people I'll refer to you. You ever heard that one before? Yeah, yeah, all the time. Dangling the carrot, yeah, very common. <laughs> yeah, yeah. First of all, they're dangling that carrot, that network, in front of everybody they're trying to get a discount from. That's number one. Yeah. And number two, the way I like to flip that around is say, I agree. It's important as you're building relationships with somebody sort of like swimming in a swimming pool that you're not familiar with, you want to kind of ease in on the shallow end and get a feel for the water and get a feel for the pool and make sure that you float and it's comfortable before you go all the way to the deep end and go off the diving board. So what I like to do in my business is we just, you know, we do the first project at full price. I'll give you 100%. You give me 100%. We'll do a great job. And then once we establish that we have a rapport and we have a relationship that we'd like to continue, then we can get into discounts for longer-term things and referrals and things like that. So basically what I do is I just flip it around. Well, it's, it's rewarding loyalty, and I think that's the key thing. It's focusing on the back end, you know, once you've built that relationship with the client and rewarding loyalty. And who, who doesn't love a, a good loyalty card? Do you know what? It's funny, actually. The, um, it, it's not just small businesses that make mistakes on discounting. There's... Um, uh, locally, um, myself and a friend are trying to put together a big um, marketing conference in the southwest of the UK because there's not many. Most most big conferences happen in London, and um, right. so we're, we're we're phoning around various different speakers. And I won't I won't say his name on on air because it's it's not fair on the guy. But um, he 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 commands a, a low six figure speaker fee, so which is a lot of money, hundred and twenty five thousand dollars, I think it was. Um, right. As we were chatting to his assistant, the first thing his assistant said, it's $125,000 plus two, two business class tickets, um, but that's negotiable. So we haven't even got into a conversation about, well, would he do anything for X, Y, and Z? The first thing this person said is, 
basically you can haggle us down. And I was like, that's you know, so it's not it's not just small businesses that make these mistakes; it's big businesses as well. Um, you know, and actually one of the one of the I remembered the third common mistake as well. It's actually like um, getting getting stuck in that time for money trap. Um, so charging right. like pounds pounds per hour, dollars per hour. And right. and the reality is like what it, it's very simple. What it comes down to is you can always make more money, but you can never make more time. You can never get that time back. So once you've sold it, you've sold a piece of your soul to somebody else. And I think this in in the web design world, you know, we were charging sort of fifty pounds to you know eventually eighty pounds per hour, kind of slaving away thinking we were growing this this business, but ultimately what we were doing was just selling little bits of our soul off to people gradually over a period of time. Um, and the reality is, like to contra that, we weren't focusing on the outcome, and so that that forms a major part of my coaching program now is getting getting clients to look at their value proposition and what outcome it is that they deliver for that client, and not get stuck in in selling bits of their time, basically. Right, and you know this reminds me of another thing, and I've told this story so many times, and I think some of our listeners have heard it, so I'll share it with you, Robin, as well is I was on a a call once with somebody who is also a coach, and they were giving this advice to their business creator clients. They said, all right, so if you're working with, say, a web designer or a virtual assistant or a webmaster or a social media manager, and you're paying for a lot of hours, so here they are uh, saying, you yourself don't do hours for dollars, but you require the people that work for you to do so, which to me is a double standard. They say, you go to this person and say, look, um, I'm responsible for, from what I can tell, about 30% of your gross revenue. So I'd appreciate if you could give me a discount because I'm giving you this much volume. And also remember, because I'm giving you this volume, my stuff comes first. Now, you understand that that's the absolute worst thing you could possibly say to somebody who is trading hours for dollars or pounds for dollars? Because here's the reality. When it's cash flow crunch time, They swim to the sharks. The sharks are the ones that pay the higher rates, pay quickly, and they can put the most amount of money on the books in the shortest amount of time. That doesn't go to the discount clients. So they're already putting themselves in the back seat by doing the reverse or the converse, rather, of a pounds-to-hours or dollars-to-hours type mindset. Yeah. And it, and it just it just means that they're pushing themselves right to, right to the bottom of the pile. It just it, uh, a thing I teach a lot of my clients is about managing their clients, their customers' perceptions. Um, you know, setting the agreement up right right from the start about exactly how it's, it's like a contract. This is how I'm going to behave. This is how you're going to behave. And I, I'm also a big fan of like there is I have no I have no best clients. Every client, in my opinion, every client in my book is considered equal, and it doesn't matter what package they're on. They they will have equal access to me, um, you know, within reason, and it's it's the fairest way. Otherwise, you just end up with this total imbalance. And like what I was fighting with my web design business was, um, you know, the expectations, the perceptions, which I, I allowed people to treat me like that. I remember going to a networking. This is, this is going to sound awful, but I, I've got to tell a story because it's I don't want anybody Please. ever to have to go through this experience like what I had to go through. Um, in fact, there are two instances. So the first time, I went to a, I went to a networking um, event about six months before I closed the agency down, and um, one of my clients kind of came bounding over to me like a happy little puppy dog. He said, I've got these two guys I want to introduce you to. Come on, come and meet them. So 
so he blackmails these two guys, and one of them I'd actually kind of I've been nurturing for quite a long time, sort of through social media and stuff. And my client introduced me to him, said, "Hi, this is Robin. He's my web bitch," and I was like, I was just absolutely mortified. I could not believe that, you know, and. And I actually, I questioned him on it afterwards. I said, is that, you know, I, I know many of three studies, yes, but why did you say that? And I actually ultimately ended up firing, that, firing him that afternoon. Didn't get the, either one of those two guys who introduced me to. And, and I, I just, I was so mortified. I just don't want anybody ever to have to go through that experience. And I think, unfortunately, okay, so there's a part of me which is like, yes, I allowed myself to get into that position. Um, but equally, now I'm empowered because I can help other people not let themselves get into that situation. Um, and I'm sure probably there are, you, you'll have either know people or it's happened to you at some point, those sorts of things. But um, the, the second second time, it wasn't, it wasn't that long after it, but I I was chatting to this guy who runs a, like a mechanics garage. They did source some tires and stuff like that on cars. And um, he walked into my office, you know, sort of chest out, sort of um, middle age, late middle aged guy. Um, I want to. I basically want to retire from my business in 18 months' time. I've got to sell this thing, but I've got to double the term for revenue first. So he was turning over about uh, $300,000 a year. So it's a good, good little mechanics business. But he wants to double the turnover and sell it to pay for his retirement. And um, I started explaining to him, well, a website isn't going to be the one thing that fixes this. And it, you touched on this earlier on. Like everybody's, you've got to go and get a website. So it's something you do as a business anyway. If not, you can run a successful business without a website. This guy was, he was like, building a website. It'll double my turnover. And I was like, no, you're going to, you know, A, can you cope with the extra capacity because you're going to need more clients? And by the way, do you know how many clients you actually need? I started going through numbers. And I got, you know, when somebody puts a big hand up and, and they're like, no, I'm not going to, I'm, I'm not listening to you anymore. I'm not interested in these numbers. Just build me a website. And um, I actually kind of halted the meeting. This was only about five minutes and halted it in. I said, here's a copy of my book. I don't care whether you use it as a coaster, like just, Maybe go and read it and, and learn something about like what the business world is like today because it's moved on so much in the last 20, 25 years since the internet um, was born. Oh, yeah, yeah, very, very true. So I appreciate you sharing those stories with us. And, yeah, I've heard stories similar to those from many of our listeners. I've had experiences as well where uh, it seems like the abundance goes for everybody except the web person. So I do work with web design firms, helping them to get out of some of these traps and some of these conundrums they find themselves in. Uh, and here's another complaint that I hear very frequently from people who serve uh, the coaching industry. And, I, and I'm not putting down coaches because I myself am one, cool. as are you, as are many of our listeners. But there is a trend that is being taught in the industry that I happen to know a lot of people disagree with, which I'm very happy with, is that it seems like they'll give people coaching on raise your rates, uh, don't trade hours for dollars, uh, don't give discounts, uh, defend your worth, don't let people push you around. But it seems to work, it's, but, but then they'll add, but I, of course, am the exception. Now, what does that do to the message? And I, I hear this again and again and again and again. I'm like, I'm like, I'm like facepalm. Yeah. Yeah, and the the best one is the coach without the coach. So I'm a business coach, but I don't I don't believe in coaching enough to warrant spending money on a coach. I've heard that so many times, and I, I call people out on it now. Oh yeah. You know, I'm I'm selfish when it comes to coaches. I've got three. Like, and I, you know, one I've got a dad coach, a life coach, and a business. In fact, I've got two business coaches because they're a, a partnership. 
I've got four coaches. Like I'm totally selfish about spending money on coaching um, because I, I totally get the value in it and, and stretching yourself and being pushed all the way. And, like, no, nobody is ever beyond learning and self-improvement, in my opinion. Yeah, very true. I know, I know. I mean, and that's something. If you want to, if you want to look at investing in somebody, make sure they invest in someone. So I'm a coach. Yeah. I invest in coaching. I'm a member of two coaching programs. I have a personal coach. I belong to a mastermind. I invest in courses. I am putting my money where my mouth is. We have actually a significant portion of the business's budget is on my continuing education. I take this very seriously. Now. Speaking of budgets and business organizations, let's just gears a little bit because I think we have a pretty good sense of some of the challenges that have to do with pricing that we need to not be doing. Uh, I see so many folks, so many business creators that make it so complicated. They're looking to add gadgets and widgets and all these very, very detailed processes. But what about simplicity? Can simplicity um, in business set you apart? Is that a competitive advantage? Um, so, and simplicity is is definitely the way forward. And actually, um, you know, trying to try if you if you look at the kind of core fundamentals of business, and I, I, you know, there are there are there's a lot more to it than this. But really, what business is about is, um, yes, there's the, the the actual functions of 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 marketing, sales, and then delivery. Those, those are obviously really really important, but in my opinion, people start from the wrong point in business. So um, I've just written an article about this, actually, that, like the, the 10 biggest business mistakes that, um, that, that startups make, business owners make. And like the, the first one is just, hey, Adam, I've got this fantastic idea for business. Like, I'm just going to go and do it. And like my mum said that it was a great idea, and she said, just go for it. I'll support you with however you need it. And, and um, you know, just just launch this thing. So we can have a fantastic idea for a business, but actually, if we've got a good business to back up the idea, and like, and and it and it amazes me that most people kind of just start selling their thing, their product or service or whatever it is, and they haven't really thought about. So there's a bit of planning and preparation that needs to go into it. So I have a I have a um, an assessment form which all prospects do before they come through my program and I've I've had about two hundred and sixty people um apply in the last two years. And sure. one person one person out of two hundred and sixty people gave a a score out of ten, higher than a five, but do they have a business plan and do they use it? One one out of two hundred and sixty. Wow. That is something. So you've got all these busy business owners running around, and they haven't got a plan. They don't know what they're doing. Like, they haven't thought about, like, their purpose or their why or anything like that. And so, you know, again, one of the, one of the first things that I always do with clients, so a major part of my work is looking at the, the product architecture, the value proposition, pricing, and things like that, giving, uh, giving people a bit more confidence around those things or fearing the medicine slightly less. That's where fear this came from. But, um, but the first thing I do with every single client once they, when they get going, is um, we focus on the goal. Like, what is what is their ultimate goal? Like, what are their revenue targets, for example? Just as a, and like, mon- money isn't everything. I mentioned earlier on, it's not about necessarily building wealth. It's about building a healthy business. But as part of that healthy business, we need a healthy income. Um, we need to be healthy as business owners, so we've got to look after ourselves physically, mentally, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But 
in order to like just money is just a very simple key performance indicator it's just a very easy measure so i always get clients to focus on just simple goals and not you don't have to go too crazy with the business plan but it could be as simple as if if you're starting out a business um you know my my experience is, is mostly based around client businesses service-based businesses so let's say for example you wanted to earn a hundred thousand dollars a year and the average client is worth five thousand dollars to you well over the course of the next 12 months we've got to find 20 clients so that when you think about a business in that level of simplicity like it it doesn't take a rocket scientist to start to kind of join up the dots and like having that goal is a bit like um punching the, the zip code into a, a, a sat nav in your car imagine a scenario where maybe you're driving from i don't know um, east coast to west coast i mean yes you would just generally head like west wouldn't you but if there was a specific house on the west coast you had to aim for you'd probably go like get so far and probably get very close to that place but then to actually find it with, with no zip code like in your sat nav it would be impossible it's like searching for a needle in a haystack and a goal is as simple as like punching the zip code into your sat nav and from there right. you can then start to work out what that journey looks like so it, it basically means that, um, so like I said, if the goal is to get 20, 20 clients on at $5,000 pop um, to get that $100,000 a year, that six-figure business, um, okay, what, what activities do we need to be doing in order to achieve that? And, and at the very least, we need to speak with at least 20 people who might be interested in our, in our product or service. So the activities which we do, you can then start to kind of work out what that journey looks like do we do we engage with people on social media? Do we go to networking meetings? Do we um, are we are we going to blow up our YouTube channel and, and get loads of people following us on there to start kind of building up those leads? And actually, the reality right. is to get to get 20, 20 clients on board. And these stats, so I operate three numbers. They're called it's seventy ten two. And I, if, if any of your people, any of your guests, um, listeners, um, have a pen handy, write down these three numbers seventy ten two. They came from Google's Zero Moments of Truth document, which is a white paper they wrote years ago, and it's now a book. Um, and I wouldn't recommend anybody actually read it because it is actually a little bit boring. I probably shouldn't say that. It's a bit boring. But um, I'm summarizing it basically, 70-10-2, and it stands for 70 conversations, 10 consultations, and two sales. And, and if we're just focusing our activity on speaking to people and booking them into a consultation to qualify them in or out, and then converting them, like selling selling them our five thousand dollar thing, um, it it becomes a really, in my opinion, it becomes. I know I know it's not as simple as that, but it, it's a very simple concept, a map, a business plan to follow. Does that make sense? Right, right, very true. So, so so say those number again. Seventy. Seventy ten two. So seventy in ten both two. Sense, Yep, 70 conversations, 10 consultations or sales conversations, whatever you want to call it, and two sales. So okay, uh, I think a lot of us can have 70 conversations. Yeah, um, and so if you extrapolate that out for those 20 clients you've got to get, you've just got to multiply those numbers out by 10. Now, to have 700 conversations over the course of the year, it sounds like rather a lot, but you're talking like speak to two people a day. And, and that, again, you break it down and make it, you know, um, and break it down into smaller chunks, and it just makes it much more achievable. Right. Yeah, so instead of thinking about 700 cl 
clients a day, or I mean 700 conversations a year, which really is two conversations a day, we could take that 700, we could divide that by 12, so that's 58 conversations a month. Well, you probably have 58 conversations a week, actually, just going through life if you actually count how many people you interact with. So now let's take 700 and divide it by 52. You know what? Let's divide it by 50. Let's assume we're taking a couple weeks vacation here. Let's do that. Let's make it even simpler. Round numbers. That's 14 conversations a week. People, look at your calendars. Are you already having 14 conversations a week? And how many of these conversations are leading to business? And, and also, like, again, it's, it's about, um, for some reason, I always get asked, well, what do you mean by conversation? So this, we're not talking like a full-blown sales conversation here. We are literally talking about, like, maybe you post something on LinkedIn. You post an article on LinkedIn, and right. a dozen people comment against it. Now, the, again, this is a big mistake that people make. Likes, comments, shares across all social media are just plain vanity. They mean absolutely right. nothing. There is no currency there until you start to follow up on those comments. So either reply to them or jump on a private message and say, hey, I noticed you liked my post. What was it about the post you liked? Is there anything I can help you with? And, and you actually, so you have to force that conversation. Too many people are just like crossing their fingers and hoping that somebody's going to pick up the phone and say, hey, I want to buy your, your service, your product. And the reality is we, because there's so much noise out there, we've actually got to proactively go out there and and start those conversations with people. But, it, but you know, rather than running around and saying, hey, I did this great post and it got 1,000 likes, it, it, that means nothing. If you didn't do anything with those people who liked your post, it, it's absolutely worthless. So we have right. to be prepared to kind of say to people, well, if you found that interesting, let's develop that conversation a little bit further. How about we jump in a consultation and see if there's something meaningful I can help you with in your business? Yeah, and you know what I see, since you bring this up, I see folks who have blogs. And there are, believe it or not, there are still blogs out there that get comments on the blog. It happens, believe it or not, crazy thing. Uh, then, they can't, then, then they can't really be troubled to respond to the blog comments. If somebody comments on your blog, that should get a response. Every time. It should be one-to-one. Yeah, absolutely. how much it should be. It should be one-to-one. Now, if the person flames your blog or writes something negative, you have a few choices. You can just delete them. I mean, it's up to you. It's your blog. If you don't want that stuff on your blog, delete it. It's your world. If you want to take it head on, then discover the process for turning a hater into a lover, which has been covered so many times. Or or if you can't convert them into a lover, then what you do is you respond to them in such a way that the whole world sees that you were the mature person and they were the flamer and they'll side with you and it's you yeah. and you let the person prove themselves or who they are anyway. Uh, as I love to quote so many times, Franklin Delano Roosevelt said something that has just stuck with me throughout the years. He said, I ask that I be judged by the enemies I have made. Yeah, it's powerful. Very powerful. Yeah. I remember um, the first one star review, which I got on online business startup and it was like, um, you know, naively when you put a book out, the worst thing that you can have is, is or, or the worst fear you have is people like, you know, hating, hating your book. What if I get really bad feedback? Bearing in mind by this point, I've had like 153, four and five star reviews for the book. And I got my first right. one star and it's just because whoever it was who left the review, you disagree. You didn't even read the book. You did the look inside on Amazon and disagreed with my definition of startup in the introduction. So they left a one star review. 
and oh god, it was it was cutting, it, like cut me right to the core. I was I was angry. Right. I was like, how dare he leave this one star review? And my my life coach just turned around and said, what's the problem? Like why why are you getting so angry? Like you don't know who this guy is. He's welcome to his opinion. Like you can't influence that. There's no point in wasting energy on it. And um, you know, he was it was one of the biggest lessons I think I ever learned. Um, you know, out of that process. And now, actually, I, I look at the reviews on it, and actually, it would, it would almost look fake if, um, you know, if you're, I mean, take your shot, Scott, which is my latest book, which has got, you know, it's all four and five star reviews. And I'm kind of looking at it going, guys, nobody gets, I actually want somebody to leave a negative review now, because I want to I want to see, somebody must have picked something out of that book that they didn't like or didn't resonate or whatever. I actually want somebody to put a negative comment in there, because actually, that that's a way of learning. That's a way of me getting some feedback and learning from it. Sure. Yeah. And and when you can scale that, you you learn to have more and more of a fearless business. So we've talked about being fearless when it comes to our pricing for our B2B business. We've spoken about being yeah. fearless when it comes to enforcing simplicity. We've spoken about being fearless when it comes to handling criticism. So now let's be fearless by allowing ourselves to open our horizons. And you made a great point when you and I were chatting before we started the interview here, and you told me that there are some things that service-based businesses, your coaches, your consultants, your business creator types, can learn from what you would think is the exact opposite type of business, which is a factory production line. But some of the stuff you said to me was very interesting. So tell me what service-based businesses can learn from factory production lines. So uh, imagine, imagine, well, the first thing is, is, Typically around like capacity. So imagine, imagine you've got a, um, you're a coach with some clients, and some clients are waiting to come, like like a, a bunch of components at the start of the factory line. So they're, they're they're waiting and ready to be assembled, and they you have things in that business called work centres. Um, in fact, web web design is a really good example of this. So imagine you go through the web design process. You have to go through the wireframing and the design, and then you can start like production, building it, and plug in the e-commerce side of things, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So those are all different work centres within the business. And and what I see typically is people are just blissfully unaware about what their capacity is at each one of those different work centres. And typically, like when you're a, when you're a one-man band, especially freelancer or solopreneur or whatever. Um, what you end up doing is jumping from work center to work center to work center to work center, like doing all of these different roles in your business. But, but what then tends to happen when you move from like one, so, so, so for example, you um, have to jump from like delivering a piece of work to a client to you put your accountancy hat on. That's the second work center. Now all of a sudden you, you get um, uh, as like uh, stock spare parts are starting to build up at work center number one. So that, that all of a sudden, and then all of a sudden, it just creates this um, this blockage in in the workflow through that um, through that production line. So we jump back to that one, and now all of a sudden, our accounts one we start to get inventory stacking up on that work center. And now there's, there's our sales one is just like we've got all these leads coming in, which we're not doing anything, and the inventory is like piling really high here. And so we just play this merry dance, like running around our factory with inventory building up at the various different places. And then at some point, like a production line, it's just going to break. It's just going to shut down. And that, that's the point where, like, solopreneurs, coaches, consultants, that's where we hit burnout, basically. When there is just too much, it gets totally overwhelming. And a lot of this isn't happening physically. 
it's actually happening mentally. We put ourselves under so much pressure that um, we just break, basically. And so yeah. the other thing as well is that imagine we've gone and squeezed the load of, we've managed our, our, our work, sorry, the, the work has gone through this, with, we're managing sales, we're managing marketing and things like that. And we're kind of, we're almost at the end now um, in delivering our products, we're almost at the end of that production line. And it's, it's now being checked over by somebody else and they find a mistake. Okay, now it's got a workflow because it has to flow. It flows in one direction, so there's a mistake, and actually it has to go back along the production line. And again, that's more catastrophic because mentally you have prepared to start pushing the next, um, you know, the next set of components through that production line, and you can't do that because now you've got this problem to deal with. And that, that's kind of like normally the straw which breaks the camel back, camel's back. That's when all of a sudden. Like people don't just burn out; they break down and they can't do it anymore. Like, I I've been there. I said earlier on, as I was telling my story with the agency, it, it was literally I had to walk back into that business. You know, I had my breakdown, walk back into the business, and I had a team of four guys. We, you know, it's a nice little local sort of web design business. And I said, guys, going off on my paternity leave in three weeks, uh, and when I go, you're all going. And and that it was actually really liberating for me to go through that process. Like to make to be able to make that decision and, and be in charge of it, but equally, like two days before that, I I had too much squeeze through my production line and just basically the whole thing shut down. Oh, great! That is very interesting stuff, and you know I never really thought of that, and that's why I wanted to make sure we shared that with our listeners. So when you mentioned this to me before we went on live here, I thought it was very interesting the idea of how a person gets into a place of shutdown when they overwhelm, just like if you have a factory, you have the machinery, it overheats, and then either it just burns up and fizzles out or there's some kind of fail-safe on it that says, wait a minute, we're getting too hot here. Like I remember this one time, my vacuum cleaner quit working, and I thought, oh, the vacuum cleaner's broken. Damn it, I love this vacuum cleaner, and I really don't want to have to go buy a new one. Well, it turned out that I had just been running the vacuum cleaner for a fairly long time, and the engine was getting hot, so uh, it had a shutoff mechanism. I never knew that. I was, <laughs> well, when, I learned, when I learned about vacuum cleaners, I learned about vacuum cleaners back in the early 1980s when you had your uh, traditional Hoover uprights and, and those types of things. I was not familiar with your wind tunnels and your technology that if, you're, that if your wind tunnel thing spins for too long, it's going to shut down your vacuum cleaner. I didn't know that. I was freaking out thinking, oh, I just burned out my vacuum cleaner. And then five minutes later, as I was frustrated, like, damn it, I pressed the button and voila, it worked again. I Googled it, turned out that it had a fail-safe mechanism. So now I'm going to think of my vacuum cleaner. Every time I feel burned out, it's like, just stop sweeping for five minutes. <laughs> Hit the reset button. I had a very similar thing, actually. I had a table saw that I've, I'm, I'm in the process of building an outdoor like office in the garden. And uh, nice. I had this table saw, and I've been, I've been cutting down pieces of wood ready to do the framing for it. And uh, it, like, your, like your vacuum cleaner, it, it just decided to shut down. I was like, it wasn't a very expensive one. I was just like, it's got to have, I only had it a month. It's got to have lasted longer than this. And kind of looking around, and they had the big green button for go and the big red button for stop, and I was kind of pushing those. And then just this very innocuous little black, like, it wasn't even really a button. I don't know what you would call it, but this black thing. I was like, what, what's that? And pushed it. And, and it's exactly the same as your, and it was just a reset button. 
And I was like, and it's got this piece of manual machinery. It's, it, always, it always makes me laugh about the whole power cycle thing. I have a joke with my mum about, like, because I'm, I'm her go-to, because I built websites, and I'm her go-to IT expert, like, so I have many hats which I put on. And so her computer, yeah. like, dies or something goes wrong, and she's like, Rob, Rob, the computer's broken, I don't know what to do, and I'm just like, power cycle it. Like, she, she's like, so now she, she phones me up and goes, it's broken, should I power cycle it? And I'm like, yes, mum. She's like, what does that mean? I'm like, switch it off and switch it back on again. We've got to do that as business people as well. You're absolutely right. It's just we've got to listen to our, our bodies and just, you know, it, um, on the production line side of things, what's quite interesting is if you there's science behind um, efficiency, basically, the human efficiency, how, how much we can squeeze through our production line. And when you, when you hit 50% of your capacity, every percent over that is actually worth 2% in efficiency. So imagine you, you know most people try and like get get their staff, for example, working to like 100%. Like you know, especially law firms, they're the worst. Like you have to do 100% of your time time recorded. You have to be busy 100% of the time. But there was a study, and I think also it talks about in um, a book called The Goal um, by Elia Goldratt. I don't know if you've ever read that. Really fascinating book. But he he talked about it, and so I did a bit of research. And actually, the 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 best the the most efficient capacity we can work to is 72%. So how, how that works basically is that if you take, so at 50%, now every percentage over that is worth double. So you're talking 72 minus 50, so that's 22, double that is 44. And then you take 50 plus 44. So actually at 72%, you're actually operating at 94% capacity. Does that make sense? So you, you, you've only no. got a tiny little amount of wiggle room and, but most business owners are the same. They they look at their time, and they go, well, I've got 40 hours a week, so I'll I'll fill it with delivery work. And then they wonder why they're exhausted and get burnt out. Um, and this this is what being being fearless is all about. It's about um, managing managing like being able to say no to the wrong sort of client. I think is the starting point. Um, right. And knowing knowing that actually. Um, rather than having to, like, if I want to earn my $100,000, actually, I've got to find a way of not doing it working 40 hours a week. I've got to find a way of actually trying to um, add enough value to other businesses in, say, 10 to 20 hours per week, because the other 20 to 30 hours a week is going to be filled up with other stuff, like marketing, sales, events, networking, creating those conversations, sure. do, doing all of, like, making all of the noise that the internet is kind of, Helpfully or unhelpfully, kind of, you know, it's made us do it basically. Right. Yeah. Very. Yeah. Very. Very true. And uh, and I've seen studies that show the people who work quote unquote nine to five jobs with your hour for lunch and two fifteen minute breaks, they probably on average put in about two hours worth of actual value adding work that helps the company, and most of the rest of that is typically consumed. In meetings or just plain old minutia bullshit, but when yeah. you think about it, companies are paying people uh, for a forty-hour work week with that hour for lunch and those two breaks, and they're enforcing these silly rules about. Uh, or sometimes it's actually officially rules. Sometimes it's just perceptions that unless you are sitting at your desk in the upright position and you answer your extension on the second ring and you respond to all emails within 10 minutes keeping your red receipts on, you're not really doing work. 
When I used to work in a corporate environment, my phone extension would ring, and I'd just say, oh, that's cute, somebody's trying to call. It didn't occur to me that I had to answer it. Because the fact is, the fact is, most phone calls, like most emails, in my opinion, don't even need to happen. And what would happen a lot of times, and I tried to help somebody. Sometimes I teach people indirectly. And there's one other great question I have, and there's something else you want to share. But there was this person, it was like clockwork. It happened at exactly 2.15 p.m. every single day. They would call my desk, and they would say, Give me a call back when you get a chance. Do you understand what they were literally asking me for? Then later on, they interrupt. Then later on, they interrupt. They, they run into me in the hall and they say, you know, I, I called and said, yeah, I haven't got a chance to get back to you. <laughs> now, if now if they had stated a purpose, that would be something different. But this is the type of stuff that we waste our time with. <laughs> But it's like the, the telephone is it's, um, it's great in so many ways because it, it can help you have conversations with your, your granny who, who lives like 150 or 200 miles away or something like that. But in reality, I just find the, the phone sometimes is so rude. It's this little machine, this little device that is designed to interrupt people. Like, I didn't ask for the phone call. I didn't ask for the phone to ring. But, but it, this right. thing is ringing, and now it's interrupting me. And I, again, like one of the tools which I work through with people is this um, – called ramping up and ramping down so it's this notion of you're you're in a in the zone uh smashing out a piece of work and yeah. it's going really well and then some what doesn't matter what the interruption is the phone somebody walks into your office you know somebody falls over in the street it doesn't matter what the interruption is but you're interrupted and and actually so you but what tends to happen is during that interruption you ramp down immediately like your, your efficiency your productivity just goes so because you're distracted yeah. and you, you're no longer in the zone but then ramping up is like a, it's incremental. It could take 15 minutes to ramp back up, back up to the same level of productivity. Now imagine a scenario where you get, I don't know, eight, into eight nine, ten interruptions a day from various different people, things happening. You know, at 15 minutes a pop, how very quickly that, that adds up. And I, I went through, um, my wife's actually a lawyer, so I've got first-hand experience with this because... She, she had this girl in her team who kept on coming up to saying, have you just got, have you got five minutes? I just want to run through this thing with you. And, and I, I said to my wife, I got out a bit of paper, and I was like, how often does this happen? She said, well, anything up to like, you know, 10 times a day. And I said, how many, how many other partners are there in your team? And she said, there were two other, two other partners. And I was like, does she do the same to, to two partners as well? Yeah, yeah, she does actually, funny enough. So, and, and I was like, and so you're telling me that, that you're losing like an hour's worth of partner time every single day. So working days, like 200 days a year, times by, and a partner, uh, a partner in the law firm over here gets paid about 200, they're worth about 250 pounds an hour. So this was costing, this was costing her business, her team, 50,000 pounds with something just coming in and saying, because you've just got five minutes. Um, and it, like, and, and business owners were just blissfully unaware of that happening until you actually start writing down the numbers. And she was like, this is amazing, Rob. I'm going to take this straight into my team and tell them to stop interrupting me. I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. hold on a second. Let's not be like too drastic about this. They might still need to speak to you, but at least get it organized so that you have like a Q&A session at the start of the day for the whole team. And they can just throw stuff at you and then you go back to your deep work for the rest of the day. I like that. 
Yeah, uh, I like. Yeah, all my calls are scheduled. Number one, uh, and if somebody somebody who has the um, ability to actually like Skype me and type got a sec, there's an easy way to describe those people. They're clients who pay me gobs of money for the privilege. So by yeah. them typing got a sec in my Skype, I actually am doing my job by responding to that. But anything else off the transom? No. And even with clients, generally speaking, they don't ask me for a second very often because most of the time we cover it once a week because I require all my paying coaching clients and consulting clients to have a weekly meeting with me. Sometimes it's a five-minute check-in. Sometimes it's an hour strategy call. But the idea is we gather off all the little stuff for that call, and that's how I deal with it. So, Robin, we have um, about, wow, seven minutes left, and uh, I want to give you a minute at the end to share something with our audience. So – Real quick here, let me just uh, let's spend three or four minutes on this. There's one thing that I want to have you share with us, something very important. Uh, what are the three things, like if somebody who's listened to this interview today and has caught everything we've covered about pricing, simplicity, um, how we deal with our haters, learning from factory production lines, and everything else we've covered, what are three things that our listeners could do right now to be more successful and have a fearless business? So the, the first, I've kind of talked a little bit around a couple of the things already, but a, a very brief summary in the last sort of five minutes that we've got. But I, I mentioned it before, like so many people don't have goals in mind. And we all know about smart objectives, smart goals, so specific, measurable, actionable, realistic time band. I'm not a big fan of realistic. I, I like the idea of kind of shooting for the stars. And if you hit the moon, that's pretty cool anyway. But But with goals, we've got to have a really clear goal in mind, basically. So... My, my philosophy around the three things to um, create success actually um, was born out of um, Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. So most people who are listening probably will be familiar with this. But this is like my, my interpretation of it, basically. So we've got to have the goal in place. That's the first thing. The second thing is then we can start to kind of map out a journey of the activities that are going to take us to that goal. But the important thing actually isn't, isn't necessarily about just the activities. It's also the volume of the activities. And I had, I had somebody, I had another coach actually, who jumped on a, um, a diagnostic call with me last week. And we, we, the call went really well. And then all of a sudden, she just stopped the conversation and said, Robin, you seem to be like yeah. so successful. You, you've got all of these clients. You've got, you know, the money's coming. It's all, on, on, you know, you're getting all this content out. Like you're just doing so. And, and she said, I kind of feel as though we're, we're similar in terms of the coaching that we do and the clients we work with. And like, you know, I, I feel as though I'm probably you know, we're at a similar sort of level coaching-wise, but I just don't understand why you're so, so successful. And I just said to her, how many consultations did you book in the last in the first six months of 2018? And she kind of went a bit sheepish, and she said, 10. And I said, cool. Well, I've sat 80 in the first six months of this year, so that's why I'm successful, because the volume of activity that I create around my business um, it helps me get towards that goal. And I said, you know, I've booked more clients than you've sat consultations because I'm just more active than you. And she was like, gold dust. That, you know, that was her done with her breakthrough. Um, so it's about having the right set of activities, right volume of activities. And then finally, I think, and this is, this is probably one of the most important ones, is about, like, the volume of desire. Um, I think not, not enough business owners, entrepreneurs, um, and people generally check in with, like, their desire to do the thing that they set out for themselves. So if you're running a business, like how much do you want it? Because business will kick us in the balls. It will, it will come round and 
you will be faced with challenges and your desire, your resilience, um, and your passion to succeed has to far outstrip the rubbish that is thrown at us as business owners because it will happen at some point. And I think if you've got, if you've got the goals, the right, and right activities, right volumes of activities, and the desire to overcome any challenges thrown at you, you can have anything you want. You can be as successful as you want to be. You can have a really healthy business which leads to whatever wealth, um, wealthy desires that you have. Yeah, and I think that's a great place for us to sort of end up here. So, Robin Wade, first of all, thank you so much. This has been great. You mentioned to me that you had a little something for our audience, so why don't you go ahead and tell us about that? So one of, one of my goals in life is to help as many business owners as possible to double their turnover. So I'm actually going to give away both of my e-learning courses for free. So if your listeners want to head on over to robinwaite.com forward slash BCR, um, there'll be free access to both of my e-learning courses. Um, also, um, I, uh, there's a kind, this is a bit of a request, but I'm going to make um, a copy of um, Take Your Shot available to everybody. It may well be um, uh, an electronic copy for those who are outside the UK, but I'm going to make a copy of the book available to people on the proviso that they're happy to leave me a review because I'd love to get more reviews on Amazon.com. So that's robinwaite.com forward slash BCR. Great. Yeah, and I really appreciate that. I'm going to have to check that out for myself. So, again, that's robinwaite.com forward slash BCR. Well, uh, yep, I wanted to it. tell you, Robin, I really appreciate you coming down to hang out with us today here at the Business Creators Radio Show. It's been an honor and an education. It's been an absolute pleasure. I think I've learned quite a lot as well from the call, so I really appreciate your time, Adam. You bet. And for everybody listening, this is Adam Homey, host of the Business Creators Radio Show, where we help you win at the game of business, excuse me, help you win the game of business and marketing so you thrive from the intersection of your brilliance and passion. How I mix up my own tagline, I will never know, but that's for those of us that have the voice for radio, it happens sometimes. You say, oops, and you move on. That's a success strategy that helps you have a fearless business. Until next time, have a great day. Take care.